Hello, this is Zach with La Familia Ayahuasca, and I'm sitting here with Ryan Moran. Ryan, how you doing? I'm, I'm very rarely nervous for podcasts, but a little bit nervous and honored to be hanging out with you, Zach. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so on that point, our listeners may not be all that familiar with with you they they may also um, know exactly who you are so can you give us a quick rundown of your background yeah so professionally i am the ceo and the founder of capitalism.com which trains and helps entrepreneurs build businesses and invest the profits i run a podcast called capitalism.com with ryan daniel moran with uh, a, a fairly sizable following of entrepreneurs. And personally, my background was, actually I was raised in the, in the Baptist church and I thought I was going to be a, a, a pastor for most of my life. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't until I went to school to be a pastor <laughs> that I started to question that path. Right. And I'm sure we're going to go really deep into that. But the way that you and I met were, was that, um, you know, uh, uh, entrepreneurs have kind of turned to different modalities to deal with a lot of what goes on under the hood because we are hard chargers and mm. we are um, alone. We feel alone and we feel connected. Mm. And so there has been, a, you know, a, a, a demand for going deeper. Mm-hmm. I think especially lately there has been a lot of success without fulfillment Mm -hmm. and the result is looking for something deeper. Mm -hmm. And 25 years ago that was met through personal development and going to Tony Robbins conferences. And uh, today that is uh, kind of the the new world that is, is happening in psychedelic research. Mm -hmm. That was how, how you and I got connected. And so um, former pastoral student, current, uh, leader of capitalists was doing uh, was doing his first ceremony uh, with you, and I'm excited to do my uh, my second upcoming soon. Yeah, it's the second round. Um, yeah, because we we just want to point out for those who don't know all, us all that well is that we we actually really uh, do not like it when people just do one-off ceremonies uh, unless they have previous experience. We prefer to have people do at least three and we, we, we put forth um, retreats with four ceremonies at a time. But yeah, um, the, I think one of the things that really connected us during the retreat that you were on was your background in your understanding and education around Christianity, the Bible specifically, um, because I have lots of questions or had had and continue to have lots of questions around how Christians view their path. Uh, I was not, personally, I was not raised Christian. I was 
my first exposure to any type of spirituality was actually the Lakota uh, spiritual, some people call it the Red Road. Um, I lived on the Rosebud Reservation. And so that was my first exposure to any kind of spirituality was Lakota Sioux spirituality, which is Native American. Um, and I think that was very lucky for me in the sense that I didn't go through any uh, pressure from other than cultural exposure. There were no parental or familial pressures uh, around any particular path. Even when I was participating in Lakota Sioux ceremonies and so forth, there was never uh, any type of dogma around that. And so it's allowed me to really look at various uh, spiritual paths without having any of that baggage. And you know, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about with you, maybe going into what happened to you in regards to um, uh, your, your own relationship with Christianity. Uh, I think you use the word losing your faith and then coming back to your faith. Um, and then how ayahuasca uh, may have helped that. And I, I think it has. We haven't had, um, I, I've heard that you've had some progression, personal revelation, so to speak, uh, subsequent to our retreat. I heard via your podcast <laughs> uh, that I listened <laughs> to a couple of those episodes um, and, and love to hear about that. But maybe we should, um, before getting to that, what was your experience like working with, with us that, that particular retreat? And you were, you were coming in with some pretty big questions, if I remember correctly. I don't remember what questions I came up in with, except my intention was to leave behind the fears and anxieties that have kept me from being everything that I could be. And um, I, re I remember the, the first night feeling no... No, no special experience except the chatterbox in my brain going da, 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 and then and then am I feeling anything? Am I not feeling anything? Am I in my head because I'm feeling and just the and just kind of an exhausting chatterbox going mm -hmm. over and over and over and over and over and over and over again all night long until hours in there was like a you know a, a sense of like God this is frustrating. And then kind of chatterbox going, I thought you wanted to be free of all your fears and anxieties. And it was, yeah, yeah. So would you shut up? And then mm -hmm. voice member like, well, nice to meet you. I'm your fears and anxieties. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a cleaning out of all of that, that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and I shared this with Jess the next day and, and her saying, you know, I, something to consider Ryan is, are you okay living with the fears and anxieties? Uh -huh. it's almost It's almost the resistance of the fears and anxieties, which is what gives them fuel. And that was one of the really big realizations that I had throughout uh, that, that, uh, that round, if you will, you know, that those ceremonies was that what you resist feeds the mm -hmm. other side. Mm -hmm. and, and it is just true across the board. Whatever you are resisting, you are giving energy to. Mm -hmm. And that has been a lesson that has been hard to integrate and yet has also been very profound. Mm -hmm. So there has been a lot, Zach, that I 
learned or discovered or took away from the experience that I would say I am aware of, but have not yet integrated in the sense that I had this idea going into ayahuasca that you have these very psychedelic experiences and then you kind of come out on the other side a little bit of a different person because I've heard that then how it was described. Mm. Whereas it was more like if we talk about it in the Christian sense, in the, in the Christian sense, I think there was also that portrayal of you are saved or you are baptized and you're a different person. You're a new creation, but it's mm-hmm. the beginning of the journey. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 you have, you have come to realization and now the journey begins. And that has been my experience with ayahuasca so far. Again, I've only had the one series of ceremonies, uh, but I kind of expected to come up on the other side different. And it was more like a baptism that is the beginning of a journey where I now have the lessons, but it still takes practice for me to integrate those. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the, you know, our, our mutual friend who led, who who led some of the guys um, during the ceremonies was saying, I've discovered that sometimes I have to go back for the, the experience again. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. It is, it is not like a, it it is. And again, in Christianity, it was often the, the fallacy was once you accepted Christ or you came to, came to salvation, you were done. And now you had your get out of jail, get out of your hell free card and you would cruise on to, to streets of gold. You were just, you know, counting out your days. Right. There was the experience and then it was over. And um, it's more like, no, this is, that's the beginning and it's a lifelong journey. And sometimes you go back to church and you get charged up and you stay on the path. And I, right. and I, and I don't intend to draw a ton of parallels between Christianity and, and this experience, but I look at it the same way in the sense of it was the beginning of something, the beginning of a deeper realization. And now the work begins or not even the work, now the almost like the blossoming or the uncovering of what has been loosened up inside. And I've had a lot of those types of instances where there's something has been awoken or something has been revealed, but it is still a process mm-hmm. of, of integrating and practicing and remembering is probably the big one is even just remembering the insight or remembering who you are or remembering what you discovered. Um, But it does not mean that uh, everything is suddenly different. Um, I I would actually, I don't mean to flip the interview back onto you, Zach, but I would love to know if that's normal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's, we, I don't know if you've looked at our content extensively. I wouldn't, you know, you're a busy guy, but um, we do. We're really careful about um, saying, "Hey, ayahuasca is not a magic bullet by any means." And we, at, at the end of our retreats, if you remember, we do say, "Okay, yeah, this this uh, series of uh, ceremonies challenging. There are a lot of shifts, really noticeable big shifts during a short period of time." And guess what? Now the work begins. Now the real work begins. It says we, we go out and it's, it's the proverbial integration time, um, remembering, uh, practicing, and so forth. And it's your, your uh, analogy 
of uh, the, the Christian analogy um, of baptism and so forth spot on because Christianity has its practices. Um, I wish there were more uh, to be offered and we can get into that later, but you know, you have prayer as a practice, you have going to church as a practice, you have reading scripture as a practice. And then, and it's all part of this post um, post conversion, for lack of a better term in in a Christian sense, post conversion practice. It's, it's not, and this is, we can get into a little bit here. What some of my, frustration not with Christ teaching but rather Christianity as, in general as a generalization is there seems to be a lack of oh I'm Christian and at the same time even though I've gone through this may have gone through this conversion experience or had this direct relationship with Christ in some way I still need to pay attention to what Christ said and taught and I don't know that, and maybe you can help out on this point, I don't know that in church or churches, they say, hey, look, Christ is an example to live up to mm-hmm. and to emulate rather than just go to church, pray, ask for forgiveness. Because if one, my sense of the, around uh, Christ's teachings is like he's trying to teach us something and it's our responsibility to practice that um and i I just i don't know i don't i don't see that or i don't get this the sense like unlike um let's take buddhism as an example there's a people who are really into buddhism and uh, and practice meditation and they practice um keeping the the precepts and that sort of thing they're by and large there's a big difference than general general mainstream population um, I don't necessarily see that so much in Christianity, and maybe that's just. It'd be there. It would be easy to stereotype Christians yeah. or Christian, and and yeah. and, I, and I can I can tell you from uh, being in it for a long time, you can tell the difference. Uh-huh. But and and here is my interpretation of that, Zach. I, I believed and and was really this was kind of ingrained into me is that the the point of the path, the point of the faith was to reach a certain set of beliefs and logical conclusions that, that would then determine where you spent eternity. Mm. That, that was the point, right? And, and that is the case when you're operating from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. Primary belief is I'm afraid because I'm going to hell. Then you will do whatever it takes to get out of that fear. You are running away from something. And so we can logically think our way through it of I'm sinful and I'm going to hell. I need a savior. This is my savior. I pray the prayer. I do the things. I know no longer have to be afraid. I'm done. I'm good. Hmm. Right. But, but Jesus was not operating from a place of fear. He was operating from a place of love. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, it was a, it was a, it was an example of love, of service, of grace, of judgment out of protection and love. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, judgment like, to I, make the right decisions, right? Is that what, correct? I, well, even if you look at, at Jesus uh, and the uh, turning over the the traders, tr- turning over the tables, mm-hmm. tables. Yeah. 
I mean, there was, there was a, an angry judgment between right and wrong, but not a judgment of people. Right. So, so there was, there's like, I think there is a responsible form of judging. And then there is the, the logical fear-based judging that is, I am judging you because of who you are or because of what you do. And I'm labeling you, I'm treating you a certain way because of what I judge you to be, which says something more about myself if I'm judging mm -hmm. you rather than it does you. Whereas, as I think more responsible or loving judgment is, is more of a, is more of a protectionist loving judgment. Mm -hmm. And, and I think when you're on a place of fear, then you, it's very hard to live up to the example of who Jesus was. Mm. And you, you can tell that person because they're, um, they're, they're debating the nuances of Christianity rather than following the example. Mm -hmm. And they, think that it's the same thing mm. or that, that the point is reaching the set of logical conclusions. And I know because that was me, mm -hmm. I, I, I believed you had the, you had the get out of hell free card. And so the rest of your life was supposed to be getting other people to believe the way that you believe as a way of saving them from hell. Mm. So, and forget, yeah. but at the same time, forgetting to work on themselves first and be an example. Right. Because, yeah. it, right. Because it would be easy to think that we're human. So we're flawed. We're always going to be sinful. There is no point in working on ourselves. We, we must depend upon our faith and the sacrifice of Christ to save us. And we must bring other people to that same conclusion as a way to save their souls. But there is never really a transition into, into this was done for me and now I will serve man at, to follow that example. Mm -hmm. And that was that, that, that black and white difference is what led me out of, out of the church. In fact, I remember I was, I was fishing with my older brother once and I was kind of confiding in him in this struggle. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I was in my early twenties at the time and I said to him, his name's Kelly. And I said, Kelly, you know, I just have this problem with this idea of the conclusions that you reach in your brain by the end of your life, determining where you go and spend eternity. And he's a few years older than me. And he said, Ryan, you're a very deep thinking young man. When I question these things, I go, oh, I got to play Xbox so I can stop thinking about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like the rest of society. <laughs> so I, I, think, um, I think that 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 set of black and white principles is what led me to look for something more, look for something deeper. And so... Um, I, I don't. I don't even like to say that I left Christianity. I like to say that I graduated from Christianity. Mm. That it it served its purpose for that stage of my evolution and my depth as a human being. And at some point, I felt that I had to leave the church in order to find God. Mm. I had to. I had to move on in order to find a deeper meaning. And. Um, I mean, part of that path led me to meet you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> totally. And it, so it's this is classic, or not classic, I should say this is perfect. Uh, because when you came to us, and uh, you were dealing with a lot of anxiety and fear, right? Yes. Yeah. And not to say that that's fixed. Um, because we all, I don't think that's ever going to be totally fixed. But, and this is a couple of ways that one can approach that from this view is through meditation and taking somewhat of a Buddhist view and or ayahuasca, because both are saying, hey, there's this fear here. Take a look at it. You better get comfortable with it because it's part of life. Does that resonate in terms of so it's well, not a it's not a removal of the fear because I think that's almost impossible, but rather getting comfortable with that uh, and, and this this is uh, like I said a Buddhist view as well, where through meditation you have the fear come it's just going to come up if you're a regular meditator and just be be able to sit with it and it's very similar to to ayahuasca and so uh, with that there's a more mature uh, approach to one's experience uh, around fear. And then through that maturity, one can approach uh, God or Christianity or what have you uh, from a more mature viewpoint as well. So Zach, I will, I will answer your question by telling you um, what happened in my final, my final ceremony together. Cool. And I, I would say that, you know, you said, the fear and anxiety isn't gone. Um, and that's, and that's definitely the case. Like I still have fears and anxieties. They've, but they've been jostled in a way. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like they, they, they have been pierced in a way. Mm-hmm. And the, the last night of my ceremony, and I'm, if you hear me flipping through pages, is because I'm looking at my notes. Um, man, you do this terrible thing in the ceremony <laughs> that is that is that we call the gong. Yeah. And we don't we don't always have the gong, but yes, the gong no one can escape the gong. So that there is there is I I mean each morning when I would kind of come to, I would kind of suddenly go, did not care for that gong. <laughs> you know, it is it's the rough part of the ceremony for me anyway. And <laughs> The gong, uh, uh, I don't know its exact purpose, but it seems to elicit fear, darkness, like pull out some negativity. Mm-hmm. And the the first, uh, up until the, the final ceremony for me, I would just lay down, get under my blanket, and kind of wait for the gong to pass. <laughs> But on the final night for me, I got, I had the, the sense very quickly that this night was going to be work. And it was like, as soon as I felt the medicine, it was get ready to work. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's nine o'clock at night. I kind of, I usually just laid up. It's going to be work, Ryan. Okay. Yeah, that was just kind of, you know, the, the kind of the message that I received very quickly and it became kind of apparent to me that this was my coming of age ceremony hmm. that, that, that night I went from being a boy to being a man. And when you started playing that horrible gong, um, 
I, I went to my normal pattern of wanting to lay down and kind of wait out the gong. And there was like inside, I was like, no, a boy lays down, a man protects. Hmm. And so I stood up during the gong and felt all the fear and felt all the anxiety mm-hmm. kind of being pulled out of me. And, and, and to me, it was the sense of the fear and anxiety was there. Mm-hmm. It was there like it was there every other night. The difference was that I stood through it. Mm-hmm. The difference was that I was there with it. The difference was that I, it was a part of me and I acted, I acted in protection mode. I use it as a, as a signal of how I needed to act, not as a way that forced me into a like, subservient action. It mm-hmm. made me rise to the occasion rather than to cower in fear. Mm. And that was the difference for me. It was, it was my relationship and my reaction to the fear and anxiety rather than the need to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And so part of my work has been when I feel those things come up, remembering to feel them, remembering to to be aware and present in them rather than to try and deflect them. And I am not perfect. Um, I would say I'm about 40 to 50% of the way to, to avoiding the deflection. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm, I'm about, about halfway to where I would like to be when Mm -hmm. I feel those feelings. But that was just kind of a ceremony for me of this is what it looks like to operate as an adult, as in a man, as a healthy person, when you feel things that you don't want to feel. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that was that experience of not getting rid of the fear and the anxiety, but to still feel them and to mm-hmm. feel them fully and then allowing them to pass when the work was done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is exactly one of my big frustrations with uh, society, but um, in general, and then Christianity, and it's it just doesn't have a practice for that, right? Um, whereas, and that that is the practice, particularly in Buddhism, is to fully feel those things that come forth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm curious. Um, you know, post your experience, we, we talked a lot about Christ teachings and so forth. And um, yeah, so where are you at around mm. Christianity as it relates to your experience with ayahuasca? And yeah. I, I, I put forth the idea in our early conversations a couple months ago. It's like, I think that ayahuasca could be a great way for people who have been in, you know, um, in a Christian environment and had to leave to find God, as you say, um, yes. or went straight to, to um, atheism uh, out of, yes. out of that yes. response. And I'm just curious your thoughts on how ayahuasca might, you know, maybe people shift and are able to look at Christianity in a new way. Maybe they're just able to get out of the atheist box, so to speak. Yes. Sometimes that won't happen. It'll just be something less because uh, I, I think there's a lot of resistance around the word God in general in our, in our particularly around the atheist uh, culture. 
Yeah, and and I understand why there is kind of resistance to that word now post ayahuasca, uh-huh. <laughs> um, because it feels God to me is the is like the the end point. It's like the the who is at the very end, um, and now I see everything that I learned as as a Christian as like part of the the route that took me to something much bigger. And I feel like I've had a glimpse of what that much bigger is. So Mm. the way that I would describe it is that my perception of God up until this point was kind of like going up to the ocean and with a cup in your hand and dipping the cup into the ocean and the ocean is God or consciousness or Mm. whatever and raising up the cup and going back to your tribe and saying, this is God. Uh-huh. Yeah. Saying everyone look at God. This is what God looks like. This is what God tastes like. This is what God is. Let's worship the cup. Like, and, and it becomes about this very, very small container that is the ocean. Mm-hmm. Is, is the water the ocean? Yes. Is it all of the ocean? No. Mm-hmm. It is such a small drop in all that exists. And we have, in religion, worshipped the cup rather than gone and taken a swim in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Which and is about, idolatry, isn't that right? I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I... I my experience in with ayahuasca was like taking a cannonball into the ocean and realizing, well, a, I'm never going to be able to see all of this. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's just it, but, but I now see how small the cup that I had been worshiping or even the cup that I had walked away from, uh, how small that was in this infinite display that is what I would call God or consciousness. Mm-hmm. The, the, the infinite nature of it all. And to try and personify that or to try and capture that in w- one viewpoint would be, would be impossible and mm-hmm. would cut off all that existed beyond that. And I, I came to that night and looked to the person next to me and um, as someone I know very well. And, you know, and it's hard to, to someone who's never done ayahuasca, it's very difficult to describe the experience that is the morning after mm-hmm. um, where it, it feels like, everyone has gone to the same place and um, it, and it's, and it's like we turn to each other and our eyes met like, like we both knew, you know, whatever you were thinking of, the other person knew it was Mm -hmm. this very unique experience. It's very beautiful. And I just said, without any prompting, it was like we had been talking about it all night. I said, I used to think that God was outside of me judging me. And then I rejected that God and I felt alone. But now I realize that 
I am or I am in that God. So I wasn't being judged by God. I was judging myself. And I didn't reject God. I rejected myself. Hmm. And so, of course, I was going to feel alone. Of course, I would feel judged or judgmental. And when you, when you think that it's outside of you, rather than you are in it, you are the, you are the cannonball in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And you, if you think that it's outside of you, then you can reject it, but you are rejecting yourself, which was, which was my experience. Mm-hmm. And so what I have concluded or what I believe to be true now is that God or consciousness is the precursor to everything. It is the, it is the all. It is the up, the down, the left, the right, the select start. You know, it is, it is the, it's the default. It's the ocean. And that nothing exists without that mm-hmm. it, because, because it is the creator, if you will. Uh, um, the, the book of John says that nothing exists of the world that did not come from God. And I get, I get that passage now. Mm-hmm. Like, like God is the precursor. God is, is what exists before any matter, time, or space. That's what consciousness is. That's what God is. And we're swimming in that. Mm-hmm. And you said something to me on our, on one of the ceremonies when I came up for the, the, do you call it the dieta? Is it my memory? No, right? oh, the ventiada, ventiada, which is where some people call it limpieza. It's, it's essentially, um, we sing an Icaro uh, medicine song specifically for you. Um, you know, really focusing only on you for you kind of thing. And you said something and, and, um, kind of when you're coming to, we made a couple like jokes to each other when I would come up to that, which the laughter on ayahuasca is the most wonderful, <laughs> beautiful experience because there's so much, you know, there's a lot of work and heaviness that can happen. And mm. the hint of laughter is just the most beautiful experience. But I, I came up there for the Ventiata and uh, you said, you kind of leaned back in your chair and you said, it's time for us to call on our gigantic friend, Jesus Cristo. <laughs> and, uh, and that meant you have no idea what that meant to me in that moment to, to call on, to, to, to call upon the help of our friend, Jesus Christ, because in that moment, what I was experiencing was, was a deeper understanding of God, a deeper understanding of consciousness, a deeper understanding of spirituality of faith and now understanding that I had seen a glimpse of it through my understanding of Jesus Christ as a child, as an adolescent, as a young adult, and not no longer feeling that I had to reject it or mm-hmm. walk away from it, but that I could integrate it into a much deeper understanding of all that God is. Mm-hmm. And so... It was, it, it was now part of my experience, not a previous part of my life. And, and, and so in that moment, it was, it was like I, I, I finally got to bring together 
my old beliefs with where I was going next and it, and it connecting the dots rather than me trying to run away from the dots or reject the dots. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, I feel like I understand Christianity and I understand faith so much deeper and I have a much healthier respect and admiration for the, the faith of my, of my childhood rather than a angry atheistic or agnostic rejection of that. Mm-hmm. And I would say as a result, you know, I would have never said I was a Christian. I would now be comfortable saying that I am a Christian as a result of doing ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Whereas most people would say, you know, that, that's, but most people from my faith growing up would tell me to stay away from, from, from anything psychedelic in nature, especially mm-hmm. ayahuasca because of the belief in demons and spirits and dark forces of this world. Which is ironic because the Christians tend to believe in those things anyway. Yeah. So we can, we can go into that <laughs> if you'd like. Um, but the, because of that belief, there would definitely be a, a caution against doing ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered is that as a result of doing ayahuasca, I, I am now okay if someone labels me as a Christian because what I understand now is that Christianity is the context through which I can understand and practice what we call God. Mm-hmm. And it, it is my cultural and contextualization of binding that spirituality that I think Jesus was pointing us to. Mm-hmm. And it, you, you, you could dare I say that ayahuasca saved my faith rather than led me away from it. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me, I don't say I'm a Christian, mostly out of respect for those who are, who are, who are actively practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have no problem with that identification. Whereas before I would, I, I would flat out say, no, that, that, that is not who I am. Mm. I have a little bit of a rebrand that actually I think Christianity should, uh, or a certain type of Christianity should go through a rebranding. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd like to call myself a devotee of Christ mm. because uh, using the term Christianity has all the baggage uh, associated with mainstream and, and, and even not so mainstream uh, fundamentalist and evangelical churches. Whereas a, a devotee of Christ is saying, in my mind, maybe I'm crazy, but which is entirely possible. Um, <laughs> in, in my mind is like I'm devoted to understanding, uh, learning, understanding, and uh, emulating that which Christ taught. I'm not, I, I would not call myself, um, uh, well, I like to call Christians Biblians because uh, uh, so <laughs> there's a big chunk of them, of Christians, not all obviously, but who get caught up in the Bible and, and it's kind of like that proverbial story of, um, you know, the error around spirituality and teachers is that the teacher is pointing to the moon and we make the the mistake of looking at the finger and worshiping the finger instead of looking at the moon. It's the Uh, cup, not the ocean. Exactly. Exactly. And what, you know, what's interesting is you're talking about your new understanding of your, your past faith uh, or past version of your faith and how you look at things now. And I'm not a, 
biblical scholar, but you are. <laughs> um, what you're saying is, I would imagine, not in any contradiction to what Christ taught nor the Bible taught. Is that correct? Because you, you're, you were citing scripture that you're like, now I understand that part of the scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm yet to find a contradiction apart from some warning against um, dark, dark forces or dark spirits. Mm. Um, and depending on how you interpret that or play with that is the only place where I find maybe some, maybe some, where some people would find it contradictory, but I feel like it has just illuminated a new understanding of, of scripture in my faith rather sure. than contradictory. That's an interesting question um, is, okay, so you're saying that Christians would want to avoid dark forces, and yet there's a recognition that in that dualistic view that they exist, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the traditional shamanic dualistic view, um, they also exist. Uh, and in the traditional shamanic view, particularly for curanderos or healers versus those who practice witchcraft, <laughs> which we are not, um, uh, you know, we, we also are, as healers, are avoiding uh, those dark forces. So does that remove that contradiction? I'm kind of going down a road here. Yeah. Of, uh, you know, ayahuasca is, has been proven scientifically, as long as you're relatively healthy, it's actually healthy for you. So you're not crossing that precept around Christianity of it's not, it's a quite healthy substance. It's a medicine for the body. And if we have the intent of removing the dark forces uh, in this dualistic view, uh, which is another big conversation, then how, is it, how would that be conflict versus just a misunderstanding? So the the cultural practice of this, at least in the American church, is to stay as far away from this stuff as possible. Uh huh. Right? So, but it's not based in in scripture, then. Uh, not depending on how you interpret it. Uh huh. Right? So, so there is there is definitely a rejection of fortune telling. Um, which we don't do. Any, well, <laughs> go down, the, I, go down I, the list. This is the thing uh, that I like to do. Is like, okay, that thing where he says, uh, Jesus said, you know, drop the use of uh, soothsayers. Well, we're not soothsayers. Drop the use of, uh, or I guess, fortune tellers are the same thing. We're not that. We're not doing witchcraft, and, and we're, we're we're healing. So we can we can walk down that that yeah. piece of scripture and go, nope, nope, nope. We're good. Oh, I can tell you several instances from my ceremonies in which I thought ayahuasca was telling me a glimpse of the future that did not come to pass, which are kind of fun stories. Uh, but but uh, and now I have to real quick is uh, right before my first ceremony, I discovered that I'm going to have a second child. And so I asked ayahuasca when I was really deep in, what is my child's name? And it said Violet. Huh. And the next day I uh, texted my partner and said, what do you think of the name Violet? And she said, I love that name. And uh, unfortunately, a month later, we found out it's a boy. Boy. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, but anywho, the, the Christians, I think, would be a little bit guilty of lumping in anything in the spiritual realm yeah. all, all together as the same thing. Yeah. 
So there is there is a caution about staying away from really any play in the spiritual realm, mm-hmm. um, which is also, you know, what's interesting, Zach, is there's also kind of a, um, I remember desiring growing up to have what we would call the Damascus Road experience. Mm-hmm. Damascus Road experience. A mystical experience. Yeah, when Saul becomes Paul, he sees Jesus in the sky, speaks to him. He has scales on his eyes and he's blinded for three days. Um, and that's when Saul becomes Paul. Uh, so there's there's a definitely kind of a desire. There was a desire for me to have my awakening, my Damascus Road experience. But yet in the church, anything of spiritual nature is warned against. Hmm. So how even if you had it, there would be like a hiding of that. So, so that's the only, it's more of a cultural contradiction, I would say than anything else. Which is interesting because I, I just, after our retreat together, I ended up going to a church, um, on a visit to some family in the States. And in that sermon, I was shocked to hear the, I guess, pastors, what you call them. Um, he said, he was talking about how he thought that when people read the Bible, they sit around and say, oh, what does that verse uh, mean to you? What does that verse mean to you? And he was quite upset with the freedom allowed to interpret the verse personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there was only one way to read the Bible, and that was the way God wanted you to read the Bible, mm-hmm. which then he kind of back end implied that he knew how God wanted to <laughs> read the Bible, and he was the one to tell you how he was the representative of God, which would imply a mystical experience. Yeah, you see my point. And yeah. I, I saw, it and I was like, "Whew, I'm out. This is this is this is uh, I'm this is not my guy. I will sit through the service, and thank you very much." Um, but it, I, no one else caught it. You know, I looked around the room, and everyone's like, "Yeah, hallelujah!" <laughs> and I'm um, not literally, but you know, figuratively. And uh, and I was like, "Wow, okay, so this is." this is a really interesting power play going on here around mystical experiences and authority. Yeah. Well, it feels good to have the right conclusion and to be able to judge the world for mm-hmm. it till it comes your way. Mm-hmm. Right? It feels really good to the ego to be able to feel like you have the right answer and anyone who disagrees with you is going to burn forever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That, that can feel really good in the short term. Yeah. So uh, that doesn't surprise me. I also think that's why we have so many, um, so many deep, passionate disagreements within Christianity, all, even to the point of splitting off and starting your own, mm-hmm. your own branch of it, mm-hmm. um, because it it because it is dangerous to be wrong, and it feels really good to be right. Yeah, it's it's. So ironic because from my understanding of the teachings of Christ is one of the big ones is don't judge, don't judge. And it's not, yes, go out the gospel, tell the good news. Well, the good news is that you're forgiven and God loves you, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. is that, 
a complete <laughs> understanding. Um, I, I mean, I think if that's all you got, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. If that's but, all you believed. Yes. Yeah. And, and then everything else was kind of um, actually quite can get in the way very easily. And I think that's kind of what's happened. Um, well, let's, let's, let's go there for a second because I think where it gets dangerous is when we start creating rules for which we are forgiven and loved. So if we take that as you're forgiven and God loves you, like that's the point. The debate often becomes, uh, well, hold on. It's actually that Jesus died for you and that's how you're forgiven and why God loves you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, 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 let's go. And, and now we're in a logical debate versus no, the point was like you're forgiven and God loves you. Right. And as well, only if you accept it. Oh, no, I, the point is you're forgiven. Yeah. And God loves you. It's uh-huh. like create these rules to, in order to get the point. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we forget the point as a result. Yeah. It's again, looking at the finger, not the moon yeah. or the cup and not the, yeah. the ocean. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, we could go back and forth about this all day and um, it would be a lot of fun, <laughs> but uh, um, getting back to you know, how you gave an example of how ayahuasca helped you get a recontextualize your past. Um, and I want to make it very, very clear that our work at La Familia Ayahuasca is um, we are not trying to pro, pro, uh, proselytize anyone, particularly into Christ, Christ teachings or Christianity, um, specifically Christianity uh, to be clear. Um, I uh, consider myself both a, a devotee of Christ and a devotee of Buddha as my two main teachers. Uh, my wife uh, grew up in Kashmir Shaivism and is also a, practi- a Buddhist practitioner as well. So we, we definitely do not uh, come at this as a, a way to find Christ again or, or you know, to proselytize. Um, but that said, you know, um, do you have any other view on how this, how, how working with ayahuasca may be helpful for those who are particularly damaged, uh, maybe even traumatized uh, through this dogmatic approach around Christ um, and how that, there may be some healing uh, that can come forth? Mm. That's a, it's a big question. I may be yeah. laying too much on you. That, that was a layup, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Softballs all day. Yeah, softballs I, do, all day. I do one series of ceremonies. Do you think I have the answers to it? What what I discovered or what came to me, and I'll see if I can find it in my notes while I'm walking through it, but the there was a sense of what that that God is the unicity of it all. Mm-hmm. That, that God is the the the, you know, in physics, they say that all matter, time, and space came from an inf- a point of infinite density at the beginning of the universe. Like, what the heck does that mean? You know, yeah. I, right? A point of infinite density. What? What is that? And so, what? Where I am on that is that that unicity of it all. That is that's source, right? That's that's God. That's the beginning. Uh if you will, that is where it is all contained. That's where we're all coming from. And that the, the 
the pain that we experience is the separation from that Mm -hmm. or what we call in Christianity separation from God. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, what, what has been interesting is that I've kind of synthesized my experience on ayahuasca being like, wait, that sounds exactly what I thought about in church, just a completely different context. So mm-hmm. the idea of we experience pain from the separation of that unicity or consciousness, separation from each other when we fight one another or judge one another because you have that and I have that. And so by us battling each other, I'm separating from myself. Mm-hmm. I'm separating from that source that is in all of us, that isolation that is painful. And so the reason I say all of that is because the the scars that often come from religion are really the scars created by broken, hurt, separated, isolated people Mm -hmm. or acting in fear. Yeah. Who, who are who are not really it, it it was never about the the it was never about God that was the problem it was about the the messengers who were hurt that was uh-huh. the problem uh-huh. and that and and then in shedding all of that weight I now feel like I can be present in the faith that I believed as as a young man without having the baggage of all of the necessary checkboxes of what has to exist in order for me to be loved and forgiven. Uh-huh. That's a beautiful freeing experience. Yeah. Talk about healing. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that, that, and this, this can take one, I think in your case, obviously kind of full circle back, but at least at a minimum, I think, working with ayahuasca and going through that healing can just allow one to accept and forgive those experiences uh, around religion, spirituality. And it doesn't have to be Christianity. It can be other traumatic uh, religious experiences. Um, And, you know, our view is is that, you know, at least just let that, be healed, let that go, uh, particularly uh, and, and forgiving and, and accepting the people for the, they, they literally did uh, did they knew not what they were doing at the time they were everyone's trying to do the best they can and ayahuasca does a wonderful job of recontextualizing um, those types of experiences and that uh, opens a, a big space for healing, uh, which is you know the whole point of this podcast, <laughs> yeah. you know is. Because we have so much of that in, in our society, uh, and it, it comes out sideways in, in, in ways like anxiety and fear. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want to look at this, this internal anxiety and, and fear, and we want to go play Xbox instead, mm-hmm. right? Um, and ayahuasca help us, helps us go inward and, and really look at it, experience it like you did, and then comes to terms with it such that when it comes up again, we're more skillful. Uh, and hopefully there's some integration practices that are, we're big uh, proponents of meditations post retreat so that the work can continue. Uh, it doesn't have to be meditation specifically, but there are those sorts of things. And meditation has been, has been my practice because it's almost, I, ayahuasca for me was like a, 
you know, I got beamed up to a different level of consciousness to where when I look down on my fears and anxieties, it's like, that's so small in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And then back, uh, back in my body, if you will, um, it feels so real. Mm. Meditation is almost like I can beam part of the way back up and look above it or, or look, look, look down at it versus being caught up in it again. Um, so that has been my practice mm-hmm. to integrate and, and make that more of a consistent thing. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Ken Wilber or spiral dynamics? Yes. I don't know why, but I do know this name. Okay. So um, Ken Wilber uh, took this idea of spiral dynamics um, and expanded the of consciousness with the colors and Ex- yeah, exactly. And yeah. so what's, what's interesting in your case um, there are different levels uh, of development that both individuals and societies go through. And, um, you know, so, uh, and everyone starts at zero in the, on an individual level when they're born. And then from like zero to age five or seven, something um, young, young part of life, everything is magic. Everything's magical. I cry and suddenly there's food in my mouth. I, you know, I, I make a noise and my parents give me something. It's like, wow, this is magic. Um, <laughs> then we, we go through a rule-based um, period of life, which is called the mythical level. Uh, and that can, so the magic level can be equated to the spirits need to be appeased. We're afraid of the spirits. Very, very, very much kind of indigenous shamanic level. Um, witchcraft and magic and that sort of thing. Um, magic again. And then you get to the mythical level, which is probably ages five to early teens, wherein the rules come into play. Everything is very rule-based. And, and culturally, that can be uh, kind of the fundamentalist Christians. Uh, you got, now you have one God, but you got a shit ton of rules to follow. <laughs> and if you break them, you're screwed, that kind of thing. Uh, and you, you notice kids, when they're in that, rules are really important when they're at that age. Um, and then in the teens, the rational level comes into play. And that's when we start to connect the dots, uh, science, mathematics, that sort of thing. Culturally, that's technology, that's Wall Street, that's all of this uh, mm. very rational stage. And then you have this plural, next level up is pluralistic, which is um, inclusiveness, including everybody. That usually happens in college. You go and you suddenly become a left-wing liberal in college. And, <laughs> um, Not social, so, so, <laughs> but but they're, they're different expressions. This is a generalization, of course. And so we have that as well. And, and, and in our society, that uh, pluralism has been the latest level. Uh, there's been some definite pushback lately right uh which then that all started in the 60s and 70s um and gained some significant power up until recently and um, starting to get a bit of a swing back but then there's a level above that called integral okay integral um they're able to look all the way down into the when we were a child and say oh there's value in that magic magic's cool there we can use it's not good for everything but there's some value there Hmm. oh there's some value 
in that mythical level. There's those rules, those laws have value. And there's also at each level there, there, there are problems, right? So when you, Mm -hmm. when you're at the mythical level and there are rules and laws, there's a lot of judgment persecution as a result of that, that um, it, it may not be as helpful. When we get to the rational level, all we care about is money or meritocracy, merit and so forth. We don't, we don't care about how people feel. <laughs> um, but then as we go up and up and up at the integral level, which is kind of the next level up, we're able to look down and see and, and go, oh, these guys are cool. These guys are cool. Um, this level's cool. Uh, whereas if you put a, a rational person at the rational level in with a pluralistic person, a far left person, they're going to hate each other. Mm-hmm. And same on the way down. Uh, all the way down. You can't put there. There are you put those different levels, people from different levels in the room, and they'll not get along. However, the person at the integral level, they may not love uh, each other, but they'll be able to get along because at that integral level, we can at least talk and communicate, and I can see value in in um, in your view around law, so to speak, or in your faith. Wow, that, that, having that kind of faith around Christianity, that's amazing. I don't prescribe that, but that's, that's great for you. And so there isn't a lot of conflict. And so it, with, with your story uh, with ayahuasca, it sounds like you were taken up to this integral level where you're able to look back down at your childhood and up through college experience with Christianity and go, hey, that's actually good. And instead of rejecting it, going, ah, that's, you know, which was what you'd, you'd gone through before, right. you're now able to uh, accept it and integrate it. So th- th- this is, I think, a really uh, cool thing to, to look at and consider when one approaches uh, ayahuasca as well. It's just like, oh, this working with ayahuasca can allow us to kind of pop up in consciousness. We may come back down, but we pop up and get a, a higher consciousness view such that we can, instead of rejecting previous levels of development, we, we can uh, appreciate them. Well, what my, my experience has been is that, um, that when, when I'm popped up to that level, that I stop seeing things as good and bad. Yeah. And so, for, for example, my, a lot of my fears and anxieties, I, 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 can, track, I can trace back to my, my parents divorcing and me feeling like I was on my own. Um, and now manifests a lot through work, where work is kind of the source of a lot of my emotional needs um, and physical needs. And so when things are going well, I think I'm Superman. And when things are not going well, I think I'm gonna freaking die. And I have had it kind of kind of a tough couple years work wise hmm. where I haven't been um, killing it as much as I would enjoy killing it, but you still know? killing it. <laughs> well, so so uh, high quality I, problem in, in the last year I took uh, in the last few years, I took some strategic risks that have not gone the way that I expected them to. And so I have that, that has, that has really stung. And so when a lot of my anxieties have come from like, you know, the, the thought of, I thought I'd be further ahead. I thought that this business was going to pan out. I thought that relationship was really going to mean something. I thought that uh, this 
partnership was going to create this result. I thought the money in the bank would be there. I thought that, you know, I, all the expectations of what I thought were going to happen. And when I get beamed up, <laughs> when after post ayahuasca, there's more of a sense of, of none of those things are good or bad. None of those things are right or wrong. Even the wins that you think are so great aren't necessarily good. And the bad things aren't necessarily bad. They just are. Like they're just what is. And it's our own internal judgment that determines how we feel about them. So we've, we've said this phrase a lot about do not judge. We've used it a lot in the context of other people, mm -hmm. but we have not talked about it much. My big takeaway was the, the judging of the fact that I have any idea or understanding of what is good and bad or right or wrong. You know, this, us recording this together may end up, um, resulting in me being put in the loony bin or <laughs> me, you know, inspiring Elon Musk to go on his own journey. Who knows right. to try and, and make any scenario good or bad or project what could happen or even your own role in the unfolding of it all mm -hmm. is all selfish ego. Mm -hmm. When you realize that it's like, we are not a, there's no self, like that's an illusion by its own. Like mm -hmm. us, our understanding of our own identity is an illusion and that it's all just kind of a big ocean that we're swimming in temporarily. You know, you, you lose the, the, the idea that your own assessment of something means or matters anything. It's like it, it you realize how infinitely small and stupid we would be to make those judgment calls. Mm -hmm. And so for me to judge where my bank account is right now and determine that as like my overall value or how big my audience is or how big my company is or how big my reach is or how many podcast downloads I have or any of that meaningless stuff is, is an in incomplete, very incomplete picture of all that's going on because we're mm -hmm. like an inning one of a nine inning game. Mm -hmm. And that idea of making those assessments, those judgments about what's good or bad was, I, I remember having the experience, Zach, I think it was in my first ceremony where I was no, this was, this was night two. It was night two. I remember having the sense of having all of my identities pulled away and pulled out of me. So all these words, these adjectives kept coming to my mind where it was like successful. Okay, well, what would it be like if I lost all of what I consider to be successful? And then it was, what about healthy? I pride myself on being healthy. What does it look like if I'm on my deathbed? Well, I'm still me, mm. still here. I'm still this person. And then it was my name. You know, if I lost the identity of Ryan and I'm just this, you know, 
I'm just this consciousness connected to it all. And I started having an out of body experience at that point of, of if you're not, if you're not in this incarnation, if you're not, if you're not called Zach or Ryan or whatever, who are you? And then it was, then I had the sense of, okay, what about the thing I pride most? And it was, it was being called dad. You know, what if, what if my daughter was taken away from me? Hmm. And I, and I, and I watched kind of like a movie, we watched the play out of me losing my daughter and feeling the pain of that, but also realizing that my resistance to losing her and that projection was the source of the pain. Mm-hmm. The judgment that I could determine how long my daughter lived or how long my daughter was in my life. My resistance, the idea that it was her path and her journey was the source of that pain. And so in that sense, it was the resistance or the judgment being the problem, not the reality of what exists. Mm. Um, I have, I have written down in, in my journal from that night, if anything happens to anyone or anything, the problem is just the resistance. There is still pain, but there is no need to resist the pain. And so that like, judgment and resistance, I think, are kind of cousins. In that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the problem, not the reality of, of what is. Hmm. This is a good little pivot into that you do a lot of work with, with entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And uh, post this understanding with ayahuasca, as an entrepreneur, how is it? And I don't want to put it in that like, how has it up leveled your your business or what have you? You know, it's, how are you it's, crushing it? How are you crushing it now? <laughs> um, but but rather, I, I have a sense, and uh, I guess technically, I'm an entrepreneur as well although in a, in a different way and I have a very different quote unquote business in the sense that I'm not selling widgets and I can't go about it that way. It's a much, very different deal, so to speak. Um, but so my sense, I'm kind of looking in at the entrepreneurial world, the mainstream entrepreneurial world, that there are a lot of things that drive entrepreneurs to a certain point. And allow them success, but then it kind of turns back on itself and creates either less material world success or just unhappiness um, mm-hmm. or both. Um, so I have two questions. It's like, do you agree with that? And, and ayahuasca being one of those things that can loosen up that outcome uh, or those identities that can get in, that actually get in our way, even though we think that they're helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. And, I mean, because we're, we're so, I, I remember I worked in Wall Street and it was like, always money, hard, 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 driving, and more, more, more. more, more, more. And I'm, I mean, I never did it. I never really, uh, I'm interested in experimenting and, and going back after now 10 years and going, hey, I wonder if I'd be good at this now because I don't give a shit. I mean, I give a sh- I care. I sincerely care about um, the job because um, that's a commitment. And it can be fun and all this sort of thing, but would I do better because of this newer, broader perspective of just like really, you know, is you know, if someone loses a bunch of money on a trade or I lose a bunch of money on a trade, is it that big of a deal? And you know, there's still life to be lived, kind of thing. 
uh, I, I don't know. I kind of that's a big another big question, but I'm yeah. Curious. Well, let me let me go back to my journal here. <laughs> here's what here's what I wrote down. I thought of work and how I feel the need to always be doing something or mm-hmm. always be hustling, always killing it. And I wrote down next. The next time someone asks me what I'm up to, I will say, I am practicing being happy. Mm-hmm. And there is this need in entrepreneurial circles to just always be up to the next thing, which is really all ego. Mm-hmm. And at, what, at the top of this discussion, we were talking um, we're talking about how the integration part is, is a practice. Mm -hmm. So my practice, and this is a muscle that is atrophied and is sore every time I use it is doing less. Mm -hmm. And it is allowing room for, consciousness if you will to bring about good work Mm -hmm. we 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 edge so much of it out with the constant hustle and grind Mm -hmm. and i am so well practiced at doing more and more and more and more and it is my work right now actively doing less and I am so bad at it. Um, (laughs) And in fact, like I have to play this mental jujitsu game with myself of, right. What can I do now so that I can do less? What what can I add in? Like, let me create. You're you're crushing it at doing less, man. (laughs) (laughs) Let, you know what I can do is I can create a rigid schedule that I can follow. Like I can hustle the schedule and and it, like I have really had a hard time with this one. Yet it was the. It was very clear that that was what was needed for me if I wanted to crush it again. Mm-hmm. If I if I want to get back to the point in which I'm back on top, making millions of dollars, inspiring millions of people, or whatever we define as successful. I, for a little while, have to do less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that actively, life will do it for you, which is a lot more painful. Yeah. It usually involves illness, right? Illness or, you know, you overtraining or Mm. you burn out or what, or whatever it is like life has a way of forcing you to do less if you don't choose it. Mm -hmm. And Man, Zach, if there's like when we do our next series of ceremonies, if you can put a little extra juice in, in that part of my cup, I need some help there. Um, but I'm recognizing that that is, that's my practice. It's, it is, it's being, if, if, we, if we agree and recognize that it's all okay, there's no good or bad or better or worse, then being doing nothing or doing less for a while is okay. It's just as good as crushing it. I have to be in that mode in order for the next great thing to manifest or show up. Mm -hmm. 
You have to give, and, have space available for yes, it. To, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that has been, that has probably been the biggest thing that has spilled over from me into other entrepreneurs is when I work with other entrepreneurs, I can now see this in other people of them just edging out all the goodness, trying to fill in all the space yeah. and to hold all the balls and they have no room for good work. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Have, have you ever heard of the, the Taoist term Wu Wei? It's active non-doing. Yes. Uh, that's, uh, I don't know if you've revisited that lately, that may be one. It's a tough, it's a conceptually challenging one, but it is doing without trying to push it, trying. right? Without the resistance. So, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it is the flow state, right? Because um, uh, you're doing in the flow state, there is action, but there isn't a lot of uh, effort uh, or there's, you know, it's optimized energy usage, mm-hmm. which is counterintuitive in the sense that you don't want to try to crush it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, East, the Eastern philosophies, they're hard to understand once they lock in, boom. I think the, the West can learn so much, um, particularly around this Wu Wei concept uh, and, and entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurs rather, uh, as well. Zach, you know, if I could flip the script for a second, I, um, there, there are, there's a lot of things that I'm saying and that you are saying that are wonderful lessons that I understand. And I think a lot of people who have gone through any spiritual practice or mm-hmm. a psychedelic experience might be aware of, but I have self-admittedly said that these muscles are weak for me. Sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm gearing up for my, my second round with you. Yeah. And about a month, right? And, and uh, I'm just curious if you would speak to the, those who are aware of a lot of these lessons and yet feel atrophied in their practice. How would you speak to that? It's hard. It, it, uh, I will, I will admit that I still have these, I still have anxiety. I still have fear. I still uh, have to work on the constantly doing something. I'm like a, oftentimes, excuse me, <clears throat> oftentimes like a shark. I gotta be moving. Um, and I have my sitting practice and all that sort of thing. And so I don't have an answer, man. You just got to keep practicing. It's, it's, um, and in the practice, watching the cultural conditioning of uh, self-aggression or self-hatred, there's a great teacher, Sharon, Sharon Salzberg, who that's a great quote. She says, look, the healing is in the return. And when she, what she's talking about is when we sit to meditate, uh, we will sit and say, focus on the breath. We focus on the breath, focus on the breath. And then we're starting to think about baby shark videos because I have a kid. <laughs> baby shark. <laughs> um, our mind wanders. And so <clears throat> in that moment of recognizing, oh, I'm no longer focusing on the breath, but rather I'm thinking about this video. Mm-hmm. How do I treat myself in returning to the breath? Just, do I go, oh, 
I am not focused on breath anymore. Okay, let's go back and focus on the breath. Nice and easy, nice and compassionate. That's one way. The other way is to beat our, beat oneself up. I'm not meditating. I'm not doing it right. And going back. So the practice is the uh, the practice and the healing is returning. It's not getting to uh, holding a flow state or holding a meditative state uh, is not going to happen for a long, long time. <laughs> it will happen momentarily, and those moments will get longer and longer, and it's how we deal with ourselves when we step off the path or when we lose focus on the breath. or And it's, it's a metaphor for life. We start getting wound up and anxious, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. Oh, shit. I'm I'm doing it again. Ah, okay. Back to it. Do I treat myself compassionately? Or do I beat myself up for being myself up, right? Uh, It can be, so the healing is in return. And I think that's, that would be the best advice. And there's no quick fix. There are no shortcuts in the spiritual path, whatever path it may be. And as you would probably say, there are no, shortcuts in, in entrepreneurship and being successful, right? The work, you have to put in the work. Some people have better capacities in certain areas, but steps have to be taken. And it's, um, it's how we treat ourselves during those each step. Do we treat ourselves with compassion? Do we uh, get back into the flow when we're out of flow? Or do we beat ourselves up? Does that make sense? Yeah, Totally. <laughs> it's it's in all this all this stuff is easy said easier said than done uh super simple all the concepts are very simple but they're very uh challenging to implement and they can be super easy as well uh, and let's not get caught up in that concept that they have to be hard to be effective and there's also i remember just describing the joy of remembering uh-huh yeah, the, the reason why we forget is because we have the joy of remembering. And if I could describe my ayahuasca experience in a sentence, it was, it was remembering what it was like to go home. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just remembering. It, it, was, it was like no new information got processed. It was like I was remembering it. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like... I've been here before and I'm just going back and knowing that I would forget again and knowing that I could practice remembering. Um, and so there's, it's like kind of this bittersweet part of it where it, it's, it's that I get to remember and I can practice remembering, but the other side is that I have to forget. Mm-hmm. I have to forget in order to remember again. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the, the joy of remembering is absolutely ecstatic. Well, in the, yeah, the, the, there's nothing, while, while ayahuasca is relatively new to the Western world, the, the spiritual concepts around truth with a capital T, there's nothing new. Right? We're swimming in the capital T all the time. We just forget. And there's, there's no new information to be had. Choose, and I'm guilty of this. I, I check out various spiritual paths and, oh, this practice and that practice. It's like, 
yeah, but you're not going to get, there's nothing new that's going to come forth. It's just do the fucking work and, 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 and practice and, and remember to, to the healing and the return. <laughs> it's over and over again. It's, uh, uh, yeah, there's nothing new out there. Uh, from a from a spiritual standpoint, the truth is, truth is, it needs no argument, needs no support, no defense. It just is. That will be my meditation uh, until I see you again. Which will be oh. the re- the re- the return. The healing is in the return. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Right on. Well, uh, with that said, you you wrapped it up nicely. You must you must have done some of these podcasts before, <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> cool. Once or twice. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much, uh, Ryan. Can can you um, you I have been really happy to learn more about you in the the context of your podcast, and you've actually helped me become more comfortable around money and. You know, for those uh, who are listening to this, this particular podcast and would like to learn more about Ryan, where, where can they find you? Well, I would love to hear more about uh, what you're describing, but uh, um, my website is capitalism.com, which is fairly easy to remember. My podcast is Capitalism with Ryan Daniel Moran. Uh, my, I'm not hard to find if you Google my name or, or capitalism.com, but I essentially teach entrepreneurship and I teach money investing in business with the occasional political and religious rant. Huh. So that's, that's, that's my work. Cool. Well, well, thank you again. And um, for those who you are, who are listening, uh, thank you for taking the time to do so. And if you like our content or are interested in our retreat, you can find us at ayahuascafamily.com. Uh, if you're listening to this on you know, SoundCloud, uh, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher under Ayahuasca Family. And feel free to reach out at any time. We're at uh, info at ayahuascafamily.com. So again, with all that said, thank you very much for, for uh, joining us, Ryan. And thank you all for listening. Oh, 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 oh,